The reading is from 1 John, chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. And you can find it on page 1227. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God, on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how Love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out all fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. This is the word of God. Thank you, Claire. And um, please keep that passage open in front of you, if you would, for a few minutes as we think about this big topic. Nearly run out of batteries, that one. Uh, what is love? Um, as I said a moment ago, you can probably think of a dozen songs uh, which have love in the title. I don't know which ones um, first come to mind for you, which ones they are probably will say something about how old you are, so I'm not going not gonna to ask you. Uh, love is a word which is used and abused. It has many meanings, and it takes a great deal to, to plumb its depths, doesn't it? And the writer Andrew Wilson says this, describing the love of God is like trying to rugby tackle a pool table. You can give it your best shot, but it's far too big to get your arms around, so any attempt you make will be hopelessly limited. It's quite an image, isn't it? Don't you've ever tried to, to do that? I mean, um, describe the love of God, not rugby tackle, tackle a pool table. Um, and, of course, that's not to say we shouldn't even bother trying um, to get our heads round God's love, just that we need to be realistic about our own abilities. It's a subject we could return to every week for a year, and we wouldn't have exhausted it. And that's really good news, isn't it? 
Um, but there is no better theme for us to meditate on or to be enriched by. And uh, we've been taking time, haven't we, over the last few weeks, if you've been here for our evening services, to think a bit about who God is and what he is like. We've thought about him being the creator and the sustainer, that the craftsman, um, that he is light last week and that he is good. And tonight we're here to be reminded that God is love. And so our home-based passage for the next few minutes is this one in 1 John chapter 4, particularly the first few verses of that section, which is a great place to start. But I will just dot around a little bit because, of course, again, I could ask you the question, what does the Bible have to say about the love of God? I don't know what would come to your mind, but there's probably a hundred places again where we could start thinking about that theme. Um, I think I've told the story before about the, the bride and groom who chose a verse from this passage to be their theme verse for, for their wedding. I, I, I think I'm pretty sure I've mentioned that here. Um, that, that, that one in verse 18, perfect love drives out all fear, which is a great verse, isn't it? And they decided they would have it on, their, um, on all their stationery, you know, the invitations and the orders of service, and they'd have the verse I think, on the wedding cake and that kind of thing. Uh, the only problem was somewhere along the line there was a miscommunication and uh, the person who was doing the printing and everything missed off the one. So instead of 1 John 4.18, it said John 4.18, the Gospel of John rather than the letter of John. And that was unfortunate because for those who took the time to look up what John 4.18 says, it's a very different verse. And it says, um, for you have had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband." which is just brilliant for a wedding, isn't it? I still don't know if that's a true story. I kind of hope it is, but I'm not sure a vicar should hope that it's a a true story. Um, But perfect love drives out all fear. Uh, It's a powerful message, isn't it? And even that, that story about the wedding is a great illustration of the difference between any idea of love, which is all about human relationships and feelings, and a love that is rooted in the identity of our Father God. Uh, And one of the reasons why these verses are so helpful for us, although they're verses you have to kind of read several times, aren't they, and read them quite slowly, um, because they they repeat words quite a lot, and you have to really think carefully and chew on them to hear what they're saying. But one of the reasons they are just so helpful is that they point us to the way in which love is right at the heart of who God is. They don't say to us, do they, God is loving. That there is this thing called love, this crazy little thing called love. And God is like that. John's claim is bigger than that, isn't it, in these verses. He is saying, there in verse 8, for example, that God is love. So it's not that if you want to know what God is like, well, he's loving. It's if you want to know what love is like, Well, love is like God. It's like Jesus. It's defined by him. It's who he is. And those opening few verses, 7 to 10 especially, help us to unpack a bit about what this means. And John points us to the love of God in in his identity and who he is, uh, in his incarnation, in the birth and arrival of Jesus, and finally in the crucifixion uh, as he gives his life in death. So first of all, and this is the one I really want us to to chew on for a few minutes tonight. Um, God is love. Verse 8. 
That is God's identity. Scene one this evening for us, if you can imagine it, takes place a long time ago. In fact, an almost, well, an unimaginably long time ago. Um, Forget ancient history. Don't just imagine chariots or pharaohs or soldiers in armor or whatever it might be. Forget cavemen or dinosaurs. And forget a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. We need to start before the beginning of time. Right back at the very start, before the creation of the world. What does the first verse of the Bible say? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. That's how it starts. God was there before there was anything else. What was he up to? What was he doing? Well, in John's Gospel, and I do mean John's Gospel this time, chapter 17, where Jesus is praying. You don't need to look this one up. I'll I'll read the verse to you. Uh, As Jesus prays through that chapter, in verse 24, he says this, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. What was God doing before the creation of the world? Before anything else existed, he was loving. Jesus says, you loved me before the creation of the world. The Father was loving the Son. There has never been a time when there was not love between the three members of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father never started to love the Son. Love is simply who he is, always and eternally. It means for us the starting point for understanding God. Again, what would you say if I said to you, what is God like? And what would first come to mind? The starting point is not to say that God is almighty, or that he is king, or that he's creator, or even that he's saviour. Because before he created, before he ruled, before he saved anyone, the God, God is a father loving his son. This is why one of the great images for God's love in the Bible, and you can find it again and again um, in Genesis and in Exodus, in Isaiah and Jeremiah, and in the New Testament, in the Gospels, in the book of Revelation, is that he is like a spring of water, um, overflowing and welling up, bursting forever with life and with love. That's how the, the Father gives out life and gives out love constantly, because it's who he is. It's what it means to be Father. And when we think about the love of God, where I'm heading is it takes us right to the heart of what we sometimes call the doctrine of the Trinity. There's something to to scare all Christians a little bit when we stop to think about it, isn't it? Um, Many of us prefer not to talk about that too much because it seems so complicated and hard to explain, even when we start saying it's a bit like steam or water or ice or like the different parts of an egg or like the leaves of of a clover. It's not like any of those things. Please, uh, I don't, don't want to hear anyone in church trying to describe the Trinity like those kinds of things if you've ever been tempted. But the idea of God as one, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
It's not some kind of invention by a bunch of bored monks on a rainy afternoon in the 5th century because they wanted to make theology more entertaining or difficult for people. No, it's just a description of who the Bible says God is. God is love. He couldn't be love if there is no one to love. He can't be a father unless there's a child. And it's not that God created the universe in order to have something or someone to love. If he did, what a needy, lonely kind of God he must have been before he did that creating. Poor old God. If he created us because he needed us in order to have someone to love, then it would be us giving him life, wouldn't it? No. Father is what Jesus says. You loved me before the creation of the world. Jesus is the eternal son. He is before all things, as Colossians puts it. He laid the foundations of the earth, as the book of Hebrews has it. He is the eternal son of God who has always existed. If he didn't, there was a time when the father was not the father. A time when he was not yet loving, because there was no one for him to love. But Jesus, again, as the book of Hebrews says in chapter 1, verse 3, He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And the Father and the Son is like a lamp and its brightness. You can't have one without the other. They always go together. And that is why in the Gospels, and it's a particular theme of John's Gospel, in fact, uh, is to find these descriptions of how the Father loves the Son and how in response Jesus loves his Father. Finally on this, it's also worth remembering what happens at Jesus' baptism. I'm sure you'll have have read the descriptions of that event uh, in several of the Gospels, but uh, to take Matthew's, Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, we read, as soon as Jesus was baptized, uh, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And what's going on here? Heaven is opened. It's one of those great moments of the Bible where just for a few moments, it's as if a curtain is is, uh, pulled back and we get to see what is going on in God's reality. The the things which with our own eyes, uh, most of the time in our fallen world, we cannot see. And what we see is the Father declaring his love for the Son, his pleasure in him. And as he does so, the Holy Spirit resting on Jesus, the love of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Which means also, by the way, it should be no surprise to us that the way God pours his love into our hearts as those who belong to Jesus, Romans 5 verse 5, is by the Holy Spirit, the one whom the Father declares his love for the Son in. There's so much more we could say, isn't there? I don't know if you've ever stood on the west coast of Cornwall looking out into the sea and maybe gone for a paddle or even a little bit of a swim. And maybe if you've done that, I have, uh, you just allow yourself to realise for a moment that the next place over there is America. And it's almost unimaginably far away, isn't it? Across an ocean that's almost unimaginably deep. We're paddling in the shallows on the edge of the oceans. We just begin to think a little bit about God as Father, Son, and Spirit and the sheer magnitude and depth 
of his love. His invitation to us is to learn to swim uh, in the depths of his love as those who belong to his son and are filled with his spirit. But first of all, God is love. It's who he is. He has always been love since before the creation of the world. Um, Secondly, and more briefly, God sent his only son into the world. Verse 9. We get to see God's love in the incarnation. Scene 2 takes place a long time ago, but not quite such a long time ago. Uh, In Bethlehem, to that part of the house where the animals lived. You know the story very well. You've seen this scene before a few times. Uh, There's a young girl and the man she is pledged to be married to. And there is a baby who's been laid in a feeding trough, lying there, the Son of God, in a manger. What does it mean to say God is love now? Well, it's more than a feeling, isn't it, to quote another love song, an old one. God's love is about commitment, is what we see here. It's about action. It's the Father sending the Son who who he has loved since before the beginning of time from heavenly glory to a broken world to become flesh. don't know if you've ever been to one of those swimming pools where the pool is nice and warm. There might even be a kind of hot tub next to it. But there's also one of those freezing cold plunge pools. You've been to one of those? Are you are any of you any uh, one of those people who who actually jumps in the plunge pool? Bonk! Or maybe you've been to a sauna in Finland and you've done that thing where you run outside naked and lie in the snow. Again, I have not done that. I can't quite imagine why people would choose to. But imagine going from a place of perfection, uh, of no brokenness and complete holiness to the shock of arriving in a broken, sinful world. And diving into a cold plunge pool doesn't begin to describe what it must feel like. Uh, Landing in Bethlehem in a manger. Or indeed, in Jerusalem. Or in London. Or in Thurnby. What does the love of God look like? It looks like being born as a human in a world where your nappy needs changing and you get hungry and where you fall over and it hurts and where people treat you badly sometimes in what they say and in what they do. Well, in 1 John chapter 4 here, verse 9, we're told that this is what God's love looks like. It's not quite as famous as John 3.16, is it? But it's almost exactly the same, just in a slightly different phrase if you look at it. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. If you know John 3.16, and I'm guessing most of us do, it says the same thing, doesn't it? God so loved the world, and sometimes we misunderstand the so in John 3.16. It doesn't mean God loved the world loads so much. I mean, he does, but the so is is, um, like this, like so. This is how God loved the world, that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Well, as our verse puts it here, this is how God showed his love among us. He gave his one and only son, that whoever, I'm reading John 3.16, sorry, that we might have life through him, is how John puts it here in his letter. That is who God is. God is love. He's the eternal trinity. There is love between Father, Son and Spirit but he pours out his love, and his love is seen in Bethlehem, in the birth of Jesus, as God loves his world by entering into it to share in 
the experience of it all, to join us and to be with us and to love us. It's his identity, it's in the incarnation, and we see it thirdly in the crucifixion. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us, this God of relationship. So scene three takes place not very far away from scene two, about 10 miles north and 30-odd years later. Uh, Not in Bethlehem, but just outside the city walls of Jerusalem. And again, we know the scene well, don't we? The one who came as a demonstration of God's love is beaten and bloody and in pain, and he's hanging on a wooden cross. Uh, There are criminals either side of him. The sky has turned black, even though it's the middle of the day. His friends have deserted him. And the authorities have brought down the full weight of its most cruel punishments upon him. And he is mocked and he is tortured and he's crucified. But none of that is the worst thing. Worst of all, the wrath of God, rightly directed at all of our pride and our greed and our lies and the things which are not right in the world, they're all poured out on the sun, breaking that fellowship between him and his father that has been enjoyed since before the world began. We can't get our minds fully around it. But what does Jesus do in the midst of all of this? Well, he thinks of his mother, doesn't he? And who will care for her? He speaks of heaven to the criminal uh, hanging next to him and promises him that today you'll be with me in paradise. He prays for forgiveness for all the people who've put him there, for they know not what they do. And as he dies, he calls out in triumph at the defeat of death and hell as he says, it is finished. That shout of love that resounds through history and into eternity. That the love of God as he gives himself for us is greater than the power of hell. And John says there in verse 10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Um, It's funny how things, um, when you read different parts of the Bible, you see how they they fit together. And it seems particularly appropriate to be reminded of this um, after our morning service today. Those of you who were there, if you weren't, you can listen to the the talk later on if you'd like to on the podcast. But we had the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19 this morning. And Ali was pointing us to the fact that The salvation of Zacchaeus didn't start with Zacchaeus. It started with Jesus, who saw Zacchaeus and loved him and called him. And John says here, it's not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's finished. That's the love of God. That's what he's like. Praise the Lord. So European. (laughs) Okay, let's respond to this. Um, Last of all, how can we respond to God's love? The God who is the definition of love and who has poured it out on us and invites us to share it with him. Well, here's just two or three things from the next few verses of 1 John chapter 4. First of all, by loving one another. It's repeated several times here, isn't it? But verse 11, for example, dear friends, John says, Since God so loved us, since he loved us like this, we also ought to love one another. 
And what does that mean? That call to love one another like God has loved us, by sharing one another's lives and by putting ourselves out for one another's good. Uh, John, uh, Jesus says elsewhere in John, doesn't he, that that is to be the mark of what it means to be Christians together, that we love one another. Because the more we do that, the more like God we are. Second, and part of loving others is to speak of the love of God that we've experienced in Jesus and to point them to him so that they might experience that love for themselves. I've no doubt that's what Zacchaeus did. And look here in verse 14, it's what John and his friends did too. We have seen and testify, he says, that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. How can we be those who testify of God's love to those around us? There's all kinds of ways, aren't there? We pray for those opportunities. Maybe it's inviting someone to come to an Easter service or to the I Am Mark event or something like that. And finally, we also get to live in the full confidence that we are loved by the God who is love, that his love for us doesn't depend on me or on you, and so we have full assurance of his love and salvation, and we have no need to fear. Let me just read verses 17 and 18 for you. This is how love is made complete among us, so we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Imagine, we can have confidence. We don't have to wonder or worry what it might hold. We may have confidence. John continues, In this world we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The great thing about God's love is it's not just theology. It's not just some stuff in theory so that we can describe what he is like. It is the experience of knowing him, of knowing that he loves us. Uh, It is his character, and it is how he has demonstrated his love in action, in sending his son, not only to be born, but to die. And because of that, we can have confidence before him at all times. So let's just be quiet for a moment. Um, An opportunity to pray. Um, First of all, in the silence, maybe there's one verse there which you want to meditate on. Maybe there's one aspect of God's love which is resonating with you this evening. And maybe you just want to quietly, in in your heart and in the silence, thank him that the love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for all eternity is also his love for you and that you are welcomed in. But let's just be quiet before him now. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Our Father God, it may feel like we're trying to rugby tackle a pool table when we speak of your love, when we seek to grasp your love. But we pray that you would help us to to understand you better. And we know that in many ways we're only paddling in the shallows. 
But our prayer, Lord, is that you would draw us more deeply into your love to experience for ourselves that perfect fellowship and to know that love that drives out all fear. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, another song for us now to uh, worship God with. Um, I'm going to suggest we remain seated for this one. Um, it's called This Is Love. It's full of great reminders for us. And uh, again, you might like to sing along. You might like just to listen quietly as we meditate on the love of God. <laughs>